My name is Chris Payne. I'm the lead pastor here and so excited to be here with you guys. We missed last church service. I hope you got some rest, enjoyed your holidays, didn't get too sick, too crazy. Uh, but we have been blown and going. We had a wedding here yesterday and uh, just a great, great time being back with spiritual family, loving on you guys. If you're new here, we're so thankful that you're here. We want you to prepare today by getting in the word in advance. Right before that, we've got this awesome opportunity that we have as a pastor. It's awesome for me um, because I get to say, hey, we're doing a fast. And all you say, oh, what? Um, but every year at the beginning of the year, really the second week of January, we join with our Every Nation Church family, which is the organization we are part of. And we have 80 different, uh, with 80 different countries that we have churches in in every nation. And all of us, all 80 different countries, come together and we're doing a fast together, believing God for greater things, preparing our heart to hear God in the new year. And we like to start the year not by saying, I'm just going to do all these things, but God, I'm giving myself to you. I'm consecrating myself to you. It's all about you. And so... This year's fast is called Amazing Grace, and we're starting a series today, three-part series, called Amazing Grace with it. This week, we will be every night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night, having services at 7 p.m., so you can show up here. We won't have childcare, but bring your kid, that's fine. Uh, I know what it's like fasting. With kids, like having to get them Chick-fil-A and uh, like, dang it. Uh, but it's all good. You can, you can bring kids and whatnot. But we will be praying. We'll be praising the Lord, have some worship together, doing some corporate prayer and getting ready every night, 7 p.m. So you want to make sure you do that. Along with that, this year we have our fasting guides, these booklets. And you can get these in three different ways. Um, you can get a, a one right outside if you go to City Life Central, which you go right out here, turn right, and City Life Central is a big sign. You can grab some of these there. Also, you can go to our app, and you can download a PDF, or there's actually an Amazing Grace app um, as well. You can download the whole app and get it that way. But we would love for you to join us in any way. Fasting for us isn't like starving ourselves so God will hear us. It's really God is always speaking and putting myself in a posture to be able to hear him. So that's what fasting is for us. Whether you're doing food, maybe entertainment, maybe whatever it is, we're not like legalistic about what that is, but we want to encourage you. Let's find some time, let's sacrifice, and let's go to the Lord at the beginning of this year. Awesome, amazing grace. I want to start today in the book of Titus as we talk today about God's abundant grace. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 7 says this. For we ourselves were once foolish. Any amens? Get yourself out. I mean, I was foolish. Maybe not you. Disobedient. Yeah. Led astray. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others and hating one another. There's good news. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal 
life. We're going to talk today about this amazing grace and the abundance of grace. I don't know if you're, if you're familiar, back a few months ago in May, there was a billionaire named Robert F. Smith who was giving a speech at Morehouse, which is HBCU, and in his speech, in the middle of it, he says, 2019, this is my class, and I am going to give a scholarship to get rid of all of your student debts, all 400, which is roughly 34 to $40 million. And the place, as you would imagine, erupted, right? Some of you are going, man, it's not fair. Can you imagine the people that graduated the year before? They're like, seriously, are you kidding me? They place erupted. And because of the generosity, dare I say grace, of one person, that whole class felt a sense of relief and literally could have changed their family tree with that type of donation. Changed everything about them. And because he was willing and able as a billionaire to do it. Oftentimes when we talk about grace, or you hear the song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, we have different ideas of what grace is. We at this church like to define biblical terms a lot because words mean things. We can't just throw out random words. And grace, often we have this idea of grace as maybe like uh, prayer. Um, sometimes when we say, hey, are you going to say grace? Does anybody in your, in your family say that? If you ever watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, you're going to say great grace. Grace died 30 years ago. If you remember that movie, right? They're ready to say grace and say the prayer. She says the national anthem or whatever, like the Pledge of Allegiance. That's what she does. We have this idea that that's what grace is. Or maybe grace is just like something that was given to me. How they were very gracious to me. That was very nice. And yet, biblically, it means so much more. In fact, grace a biblical definition would be that which is given freely and generously. Another definition, unmerited favor. Not something you merited or did to earn, but given to you out of just simply abundance and grace. Oftentimes we confuse mercy and grace. So mercy is not getting what you deserve, but grace is getting what you do not deserve. For instance, I was driving to Oklahoma uh, this week, or the last week for Christmas. We have family in Oklahoma, and we like to go out there. It's nice. My, my father-in-law owns property, and there's horses and four-wheelers, and so it's, it's, it's fun times, good kind of getaway a little bit. We're on our way, and we're in Elk City in this little town. I mean, probably 10, 12,000 people, tiny town, like one street, like one of those, right? And I'm driving with my whole family down the, in our van, and it's night outside. And all of a sudden, woo, I hear the cops. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? And so I pull over. I mean, I was going like 34 and a 35. I'm like, what is happening? And the guy comes out. I have my license ready, and I'm, he comes up, and... He, he says, you know why I pulled you over? I'm like, no, bro, what happened? And he said, well, um, the brake lights in the back, you know, that little one in the middle, that one's out. So I had to pull you over. And I'm sitting there going, kidding me, bro? 
You got nothing to do. He goes back to his, to his police car, and I'm talking to Casey. He's like, oh, here we are. It's a small town. They just need some money, right? Get some money from the page. Might as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated, and, and they're like, well, maybe he'll just give you a warning. And, of course, with all my faith and expectation, I'm going, no, man, no. This is going to cost me a couple hundred bucks probably for something silly. He comes back, and he does give me a warning. And I felt like this momentary, ooh, that was a little mercy. I didn't, right, right? I, I, I was given mercy. But it's different than grace. And, and even that little bit of mercy, like I felt a little bit justified. Well, sure, it was a little light. It cost me seven bucks to replace, right? And I did it that night, by the way. Um, <laughs> true, on my way to Elk City during the last hour of a 10-hour, 9-hour drive, I was going about 110 at one point, okay? God bless it. I was ready to get there. And if I would have got pulled over then, oh, Lord, I'm repenting, okay? I'm sorry. I wanted to see what my van could do. Um, <laughs> true, true story. I'm like, kids, I think we're good. Um, it's shaking, like, don't turn. Um, and it was like for a second. And uh, if I would have got pulled over then and the cop came to my door and said, I'm just going to give you a warning. That's still mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. Mercy. Ooh. And that, I would have felt like, oh, God. Because I could have gone to jail maybe, right? Like, here's the deal. Grace is so much more. Grace isn't just getting off, but getting something that you don't deserve. Not just getting off for something you deserve. That's mercy. Grace. This is an example of grace. If I'm going 110, that cop pulls me over, and he says, not only am I going to give you a warning, mercy, but I'm going to give you a brand new car. Grace. I got something I did not deserve. Even more. And see, I would have gotten out of the car and been like, oh, Lord, thank you. And we're getting in our new car. My eight-year-old is going, oh, I don't know what's happening. Because, see, he didn't understand that grace, so it didn't do as much for him. How many times do we hear about the grace of God, but we're like the little kid, eight-year-old, family gets a new car, doesn't understand, and just, I'll just sit in this new car. But it never really dawns and changes your whole life. Because you don't understand the extent of that abundant grace. This is what God offers to us. We're going to look in the book of Romans chapter 5. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. We're going to read chapter, or chapter 5 verses 15 through 21. You can light it up on your phone. Check it out on the screen. Here we go. Romans 5 says this. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, referring to Adam. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, 
much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Verse 18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men and women, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted in justification of life to all men. Verse 19. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one man will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul here is writing to Rome, explaining the gospel and what this means, that it's so much more, that grace is so much greater than what you could dare even understand. And I want to try to articulate it. So as you're reading the book of Romans, he's constantly trying to help us understand what this gospel is, what Jesus did, because it's so much more than what we realize a lot of times. Paul here, he's contrasting two different Ideas. He's kind of putting a juxtaposition between Adam, the one who brought sin into the world initially, the first man, and what would be called the second man or the last man, Jesus, who later Paul would call the first of many. That he's comparing these two and saying, what Adam did, we see the effects of it. With sin, we feel it. We know it. We feel condemned. We feel judged. We feel shame. We have all these insecurities that we hide them with all sorts of things. But he says, that was brought on by Adam. But you need to realize that's nothing compared to what Jesus did. Where Adam botched and messed everything up, Jesus fixed it all and more with his grace. And if you can get that, it'll change your life. You see this compare and contrast. And not only does he use this word grace often and says the gift of God, he uses a lot of other words. One word he uses is transgression. The Greek for transgression, it's on the screen, is peripatoma. And it means this, literally, fallen down from being beside. You could say this means to fall away after being close beside. This is an idea of a sense of offending God. So this is a different word than even just sin. Sin means missing the mark. And we say, oh, nobody's perfect. Right. God doesn't say, by the way, be you. He says, be holy. <laughs> you need to understand this, that there's sin and missing the mark. But then Paul brings in this word transgression, which is actually Closer to like stabbing in the back, being right beside, being living in the house of God and being with God and offending God. And this is the thing about sin. Is that what makes sin so sinful is not just what we do, but who we do it against. And you know that. You might have cut somebody off on the road today and offended them. But you don't know them. That's a different level of offense. Like that person, hopefully, they can get over that. If you need prayer and that's you, we will pray for you. And, you know, that could be a frustrating thing. We get it. But it's different when your spouse offends you. 
when your spouse says something because you're so intimate and close with them and they say something like, you act just like your mom. Dumb, don't ever say that. <laughs> Unless I love my mama very much, <laughs> whatever, but. That is a level of offense that is so much deeper because of intimacy and closeness between the two people. This is the word transgression. This is why he's using Adam, because Adam was with God, walking with God in the cool of the day, and still chose to go his own way, literally like stabbing God in the back. And Paul loves to kind of bring these contrasting thoughts. In fact, I have it up here on the screen. You can see it from verse 15 on. He shows these two kind of parallels. In verse 15, he'll say, there's transgression in this offense of offending God, and then on the other hand, what Jesus has brought is a free gift. And then he continues, this transgression, here's what it did. It, it led one man died. Out of the one, many died. And then the grace of God and the gift of Jesus abound now to many. And then judgment, verse 16, arose from one transgression, resulted in condemnation. Condemnation is signed, sealed, delivered, like you're judged, that's who you are, you've ever felt condemned. And someone says, that's, you're always that way, you're never gonna change. That's the level of condemnation. And that's what sin brought on and we feel condemned and not right. So if you feel that way and we say, hey, we're gonna pray and fast this week, you're going, why would I wanna pray? I don't wanna pray. And many of us don't pray because we don't want to pray because we still feel condemned. And Paul comes in and says, don't you realize the free gift that arose from many because of what Jesus did? Now those transgressions result in justification, being justified just as if I've never sinned. Like that's how God, what Jesus did, does that now for you when you believe and trust on him. You could stand before God justified because of what Jesus did and no longer condemned. You understand how that now makes you want to go to him and have a relationship with him, be around his people, do what he does, become like him because I feel free from his abundance of grace. But if I don't feel that and don't understand that like my eight-year-old in the back of a brand new car just going, okay, it hasn't dropped from here to here. That 18 inches makes a huge difference. And it starts, though, with this idea that I did deserve judgment and condemnation. See, in our culture, we have this idea that, you know, people are we're just kind of basically good. We've just got a little bit of bad in us. But we're not actually really consistent with that. We're not at all. Like, you won't drink after even your own kids about half the time because they'll, like, taint or disturb your drink. Like, I, I can drink after my kids. I can't eat cereal after people. I mean, that's weird. Something about milk. I'm just telling you, this is my thing, okay? Because just the germs and the backwash, right, Earl? He's freaking out. He's our germaphobe, right? I mean, I got, I'm about to sweat on you, and you're going to love me, right? But we don't consistently live that out because, see, we think, well, I, if I'm even just a little bit good, if, if, my, if my water is filled halfway, what I need is Jesus to come in and help to fill me up all the way. That's not the gospel. That's actually not a good anthropology, not the, the, knowing who you are and what humanity is according to the Bible. The Bible says, you and me, we're ungodly. We're unbelieving. 
we're not good. That doesn't mean we can't do moral things and do some good things, but we're tainted. And you might say, well, well I'm mostly good. Okay, let's give you 95% you're good. I got you. Man, you're awesome. You help the old lady cross the street. You're great. You let people beat you on Xbox. You're great. I love you. But 5%, that's just 5% of you is not good. Here's the problem. In a 24-hour period, it's about an hour and 20 minutes. You can do a lot in an hour and 20 minutes, I'll tell you that. And you wouldn't drink a drink that was tainted 5% with a substance that you don't agree with. And yet, we walk around, well, I'm good, I'm good, I'm fine. Why does it need to be this good? And the Bible says, no, no, see, you're not good. And that, that starts with the sense of insecurity. And, oh, I feel judged and I feel condemned. And that's where the world, if that's all they hear from the churches, you're evil, you're wrong, what you're doing is wrong. There is a biblical precedence to that. But the problem is we're all that way except Jesus. And the abundance of the grace of God comes into our life through what Jesus has done. But see, it's hard sometimes because you don't always feel loved by God. Am I the only one? When I got pulled over by that cop, I didn't feel very loved by God. Like all of the things, it's cops and God, thanks God, thanks Obama, thanks Trump. Like I'm mad at everybody. <laughs> and we do that when bad things happen to us, don't we? Am I, I'm, not the, I'm the only one, I guess. And just feel this victim. Oh, oh, oh. I don't feel very loved, God. Yeah, abound in grace. But the crazy part is, anytime I'm trying to judge the heart of God with my heart, that's probably a dumb idea. Because I've got all the insecurities and I've got the humanity. I've got the things. You know how I know I'm loved by God? The Bible says this, that God demonstrates his love. Not just says it, you know, sure, I love you like the guy that, yeah, I love you, man, and you never see him again. God demonstrates his love in this, while we were sinners, Christ died. So the cross becomes a permanent monument to his love. When I think about not feeling love, but I think about what Jesus did, all of a sudden, I'm changed, and I know he loves me. But that's only when it drops from here to here. I was 17 years old when it dropped from judgment, condemnation to here. See, at first I started trying to read my Bible and go to church and do all the right things because that's what I'm supposed to do. Like the New Year's, you're supposed to eat right and do all this. And you've got, got to do all the right things. And that stuff is fine, but you can't earn that goodness from God where God goes, yeah, that's it, man. No one in this room, at your funeral, people are going to go, man, that dude had killer abs, dude. I mean, he could take off his shirt at Galveston, which is a fake beach. Like, he could do it. No one. No one's going to do it. They're going to talk about your character. They're going to talk about these types of things. And we know that inside, and yet we do everything we can. And that's what I was doing at 17. I'm going to do the right things. And I still felt empty. I still would hear about this love of God. I'm not good enough. And one day, I mean, it dropped just like that candy machine in your workplace where you put in the quarters and the candy gets stuck. You know what I'm talking about? It's so frustrating. You're like, man, Trump, right? You're just mad at everybody. <laughs> candy bar. And you got to shake it. And then it drops sometimes 
that's what happens with Christianity. It's just here. Like, I know it, yeah, I hear it, here, here. And one day, God shook you enough and it dropped. And that, you know what that shaking is? It's realizing, man, I'm not good enough. I don't just have a little bit of water, I'm empty. I need a savior. I need God to intervene completely. That's the abundance of grace. And look what it says, verse 17. By transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness, will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. You want to reign in life in 2020? Recognize the abundance of the grace of Jesus and what he's done for you. Changes everything. More than those Morehouse students, it changes everything because of the abundance of the grace that Jesus has done it. And Paul used these words, he's justified, I'm triumphant, now I'm righteous where before I was unrighteous. I couldn't do anything, but Jesus did it in the cross as my monument to the demonstration of the love of God. That changes your life. And listen, that from here to here, that 18 inches, it changes you so much that you know, the reason why I'll be on the front row and I'll worship like this, and I know that's not very manly. Men, like, I'm not going to worship. I'm too cool. Like, I worship like this because I don't think Jesus is just helping me a little bit. I was helpless without Jesus. And this is my posture because in view of his mercies, Romans 12 says, in view of all that he's done for me, I give you, offer my body as a living sacrifice. You deserve it. You're the one I want to worship. The abundance of your grace has changed everything about me because once I was forsaken and now I'm not. Once I was lost, now I'm found. John Piper says this about grace. Grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned. Listen to this. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. I can reign in life. Grace is power, not just pardon. If you get anything, get that. See, the Bible says that Jesus was filled with grace. Jesus didn't need grace, unmerited favor. He was perfect. He needed the power of God, though, in his life. So what's so amazing about grace? Here's three things to walk away with. Number one, God's grace is greater than what we have done. If you're in here and you've messed up, join the club. It's called the church. Not perfect, no perfect people in here, including myself, but I'm being perfected as I follow Jesus. But I'm righteous now, not because of my deeds, but because of his. And when that drops here, that changes. Now I want to pray. Now I want to fast. Why? Jesus fasted? Well, I'm going to fast. I'll do whatever. Not to earn it, but because he says I am it. Grace is greater than what we have done. Number two, grace is greater than what we deserve. When you realize I do deserve judgment. I'm not just cute and good. I deserve that. It makes that grace so much more amazing. Number three, God's grace is greater than what we fear. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear, and you don't have to walk into this new year. Well, I don't know if I want to make any resolutions or set any goals. I think you should. Some of you might. Well, I'm not into goals. Whatever you can do to say, I am going to serve God this year. I'm going to give him whatever. I want to know more about the love and grace of God. Allow him to change you from the inside out, physically, spiritually, mentally, and believe that 
He is waiting for you to go, come on. I believe in you. I've got more for you. Understand my abundance and don't drop it. I'm going to grab a water down here. And this is a, a bottle of water. I have to drink a lot of this on Sundays, preaching three times. And this is what we call it, this water. If I get a little something in it that I don't want, I typically even throw it out, don't want it. But we all recognize this as water. No matter anything else. If somebody says, hey, what are you drinking? It's water. Now, if I add a little substance, this is a cranberry raspberry Mio. I'm not getting paid for this. It's not on YouTube. Now, if I have this in my hand and someone comes up to me, I say, what are you drinking? If I said water, you'd say, no, you don't. It's not water. You know what water looks like. Water has an identity. It has a substance. What is there? There's something in that. And I'd say, well, it's a cranberry raspberry Mio. It's a little sweet. Looks different. Tastes different. Changed the substance and identity of what it was before. What Jesus did was not just give you a get out of hell free card. What the abundance of the gospel of grace is not just go to church and read your Bible. What Jesus did was say, you were water. I'm now making you a new substance, a new creature. The way you look, the way you taste, the way you act, it's all different now. What Jesus has offered was, yes, once I was water and condemned and ungodly, and what Jesus has done in the abundance of grace, people look at me, who are you? I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm righteous. I'm holy. I'm blameless. I'm above reproach. Why? Because I'm perfect. No, because he was. The abundance of grace. And you could say that all day, but when it drops here and it changes who you are again, now it makes me go, man, I want to know God because he has made me this now. When you feel like you're just water, yeah, I don't want to, but now the abundance of grace, I'm a different person. I am known by God, am loved by God, am changed by God in order to now go and help others know this same gospel that they can be new people as well. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells the church in Corinth, or 1 Corinthians, says this, you're a new creature. And, and he says this, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Telling people, God's not counting your sins any longer. Come to him, receive, repent, allow him to fill you and he'll change you. Now you're righteous, blameless, and holy. You are a saint. Paul loved calling the church saints. That's who you are. That's the abundance of the grace of God. Henry Nouwen says this, God rejoices 
Not because the problems of the world have been solved. Not because all human pain and suffering have come to an end. Nor because thousands of people have been converted and are now praising him for his goodness. No. The scripture says God rejoices because one of his children who was lost has been found. How are you found? By believing and putting your trust in the finished work of Jesus. That you are saved. That you're being saved. That one day you will be saved. And that you can be a new creature because of his works and not our own. Will you stand to your feet as we pray? Father, we thank you for your word that you're changing us. Lord, as your word says, from glory to glory, from death to life, from unrighteous, judged and condemned to righteous, justified and loved. We thank you all because of the wonderful, amazing act of one man, of you yourself becoming man as God, to eradicate the power of sin and death. Lord, let us believe, not that you just love the whole world, yes, but today it's personal. You love me. And I trust in you. Make me new.